we're we're look at the last two weeks of uh, the prophets, and then we're going to um, then we're going to move on to uh, resurrection, which hopefully um, hopefully Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday will be able to uh, will be back in the building. But who knows? Um, it really depends. Um, we're going to just keep following the guidelines that are offered to us. So. Um, <clears throat> So uh, let's, uh, anyway, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to get through 2 Kings 2, verses chapter 6 and 7. Um, there's a bunch of miracles associated with Elisha that occur uh, in chapter 6 is one of the coolest ones. He makes an axe head float, um, which is uh, just an interesting idea. Um, but um, I want to instead, I want to take two, I want to look at two particular episodes that occur. Um, and the two episodes are really are um, these moments when um, Elisha is stuck in between the dynamic of the kingdom of Aram, or Syria, and the kingdom of Israel. And we've talked a couple weeks that he passes back and forth between these two kingdoms all the time. And he is kind of like being treated as a traitor because he is, he's constantly going back and forth. He's constantly talking to all these different people. Um, and he's really not supposed to, you know, he's supposed to stay in Israel. That's kind of the, the thing, but he's not, he's moving around. And um, in chapter six, uh, verses eight, verse eight to the end of the chapter, there's this moment um, when, um, when he, when Elisha, uh, uh, the, the king of Syria, he's conducting, he's trying to raid into the Jezreel Valley. And every time he does, Elisha sends a message to the king of Israel and says, um, this is where the king of Aram is bringing his armies. Don't go there. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, gets really upset. And he says, he thinks that somebody in his court is betraying him. And then his servants all come to him and say, no, 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 it's this Elisha guy. He keeps knowing and of course, Elisha's going back and forth. So they assume, ah, Elisha's a spy or a double agent or something. So um, they hunt him down at a city called Dothan. Um, and this is this is cool. I actually, um, I did some digging on this and I'll post it online. Uh, but they, they've actually excavated um, all of Iron Age 2A. I know you're super excited about that, but all of Iron Age 2A, Dothan, the, the, it's been excavated. And um, they found a four-horned altar, which would have been an altar kind of like the altar in Jerusalem at the temple. Um, and so there's this one room, there's this one house in, in this city, um, House 14, if you're really keeping track, um, that may have been Elisha's center of, um, of uh, operations near Samaria. It's just about seven miles outside of Samaria. And it may have been, um, this may be the, um, the, the, for lack of a better term, the local synagogue that he's running in the midst of all of the idolatry that's occurring in the kingdom. So it's kind of a cool idea um, that they've actually found this place and done all this research. And that altar was, was really found by accident in 2013. A group of archaeologists from uh, University of North Carolina were walking the site and they said, hey, that looks a lot like uh, an altar that we're familiar with. And they dug it out, and sure enough, there it was. And it dates from the right time, which is kind of cool. Um, anyway, so he's in, Elisha is in Dothan. And so um, Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, sends this army down to get him and bring him back to Syria. Um, there's this, 
verse 13, it says, uh, Ben-Hadad says, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. Um, and they told him where it was and he sends the army. And uh, Elijah, Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning and sees all of these soldiers and is terrified. And Elisha says to him, he says, don't worry. He says, we're, we're safe. And the servant, no, no, look at all this, this army. It's huge. We're, we're going to Aram. We're going to be prisoners of war for the rest of our lives. This is the end of things. Um, and Elisha says, uh, this is not the way. Uh, you know, he, um, let me, let me kind of read it, read the whole thing. He says in verse 16, he says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes. This is, uh, this is chapter 6, verse 17. Um, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and he said, Please strike this people with blindness. They struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayers of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Um, and there's this, this idea, there's a play with the blindness um, going on, but there's this, this moment where Elisha knows he is protected. Um, he is not concerned about not being not these Aram, Aramean armies coming to get him. He's surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. Now there's a tie back to uh, Elijah when he's carried into the into heaven with the whirlwind and he's he's uh, with a chariot. Um, but there's actually this idea of horse and chariots is this projection of force, and we're going to see it again in chapter seven. Um, this is the Horse and chariots is kind of the idiom that's used in this part of 2 Kings to denote a coming army. Um, and so there's this, there's this uh, army there that is protecting them. But rather than killing these Arameans, this army, um, Elisha strikes them blind, has the Lord strike him blind, takes them to Samaria, which again is about seven miles away, opens their eyes, and there they are at the capital of the king, king of Israel, and, um, and he tells uh, in verse 21, uh, chapter 6, verse 21, as soon as the king of Israel he saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Like, like I love when he repeats it. He's like, can I get them? Can I get them? Right? He's like, he's like all worked up about it. And Elisha says, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Right? Happy ending, right? Um, okay, this all worked, except for chapter seven, verse one. And afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. Okay, maybe not a great idea to let those soldiers go because now they're back and they have been in Samaria and now they know how to besiege the city of Samaria. So now they know that they, they've been brought to the city that they're now besieging. So, so 
Think about what Elisha has done from the king of Israel's point of view. Elisha healed in chapter 5 the commander of the armies of Aram, of Syria. Now he's brought a Syrian army into Samaria, fed them, and sent them home so now they know where all the siege devices are. Now, what's interesting about Samaria, and this is a little bit of background, but what's interesting about Samaria is it's probably the first planned city of the Iron Age. Um, the city was built on the top of a hill, and before they built the city itself, um, I'm going to call them engineers because I don't know what else to call them. Um, the builders, the engineers, mapped out a channel of subterranean uh, passages and cisterns for storing water um, and then built a platform up over top of all of that and put the palace on top of the platform. The platform's about 12 feet high. Um, and it's it's angled, so it's hard to climb. It's like an angled wall. And then the palace was on top of this platform, and then the city was built on the hill outside of that. And it was a big city. Um, they have a um, they've excavated a um, they thought it was a swimming pool. It's so big, and it turned out to be a a wine tramping space that could produce five thousand gallons of wine at a time. All right, this is a it's a pretty substantial city that they built. Um, and so this is built for siege. It's got all these under, underground uh, passageways and cisterns and storage rooms for the people of Israel to come to Samaria and to stay there pretty much indefinitely and be protected from uh, invading armies. And it was exactly the situation that they were concerned about. Well, Ben-Hadad, um, king of Syria, musters his army, chapter 6, verse 24, and went up and besieged Samaria and there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of, of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. I think we can all agree that that's a pretty rough situation. Um, that, is not fun, that is not empty toilet paper or shelves. This is something much worse, much, much worse. Um, and it gets even worse. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my Lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? These are two, those are the two sides of Samaria. This is, this is really cool, guys. So this is a side tangent. But when people talk about the Bible being written late and nobody knowing, you know, that they didn't really know what they were talking about. This, this isn't a contemporary record. Um, Samaria wasn't occupied. Um, at the time that everybody says that Second Kings was written, it was just a rubble pit. Nobody knew that the two extremes of the of the of the 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 city of Samaria, the north and the south. On the north was this wine press, and on the south, guess what was there? A threshing floor. So so when he says from the threshing threshing floor to the wine press, he's saying I got nothing in the city I can help you with. I don't I don't have anything. But people who don't think oh well this was just a made up story. Why would you make up a detail that matched so accurately something you've never seen? So this is this is a good evidence. This is a first-person account. Um, and the king asked her, "What is your trouble?" And she answered, "This woman said to me, 'Give me your give give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow.' So we boiled my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, 'Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son.' This is the place we're at. This is how bad the situation is. That this woman doesn't go to him and say, 
uh, it's so horrible. We were in the siege. I had to eat my kid. He says, this woman hid her kid so we couldn't eat him. I mean, this is how bad this has become. And so Jehoram, the king, he said, he heard the words of the woman. He tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, verse 31, this is a key verse. May God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. He says, this is Elisha's fault. He healed Naaman. He led those soldiers over here from Dothan when he could have just let them take him captive. And now we're in this siege. It's his fault. He did it. It's amazing how quick he goes from earlier in the chapter, my father, shall I slay them? Shall I slay them? To it's all Elisha's fault. Elisha was sitting in his house. The elders were sitting with him. The king dispatched a man from his presence. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Elisha says, look, he says, you know what? He says, before too long, this is all going to be over. There's going to be prosperity. It's going to be immeasurable. It's going to be amazing. All right. Um, and uh, nobody believes it. Chapter seven, he says this, hear the word of the Lord. Verse one, thus says the Lord tomorrow about this time, Asaya, a fine flower shall be sold for a shekel. That's a, it's like a barrel and two sayas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. When the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this be? He said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but shall not eat it. All right, so here we are in the siege. Um, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want you to get the tail end of, of this. Uh, basically, chapter 7, um, there's these four lepers who are sitting outside of the city of Samaria. And they say, You know what? Life really can't get much worse. So let's try that. I mean, we're lepers outside of a besieged city. Life is pretty rough. So he says, they say, let's do this. Let's go see if the Syrians will kill us. If we walk into the Syrian uh, army, if we walk into the Aramean camp, maybe they'll go, ah, lepers and kill us, and our pain will be over. Our misery will be over. Okay? And so they go out to the camp, and they find, uh, verse Verse six, the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sounds, here it is again, of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired us against us, the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And when they came back and entered another tent and carried off other things and went and hid them. And then they said to one another, and Mike Trask had asked me a question on Facebook about uh, Gehazi, um, Elisha's servant who took the, the stuff. And last week we talked about him. He's, he took things from Naaman. And so Elisha curses him with, with leprosy. And Mike had asked me if he had repented would he have been healed? And I think the important thing is that he didn't repent. Um, but that sets up this moment here, because here are these lepers, and they're doing the same thing, right? They're taking this stuff and they're hiding it. But in verse 9, they say, we are not doing right. So Gehazi is a, a healthy man who steals and becomes a leper. These are lepers who realize they're doing the wrong thing, 
and go provide for others. They're trying to provide for others. There's, there's some interesting parallels going on between them. And they said, this day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they go and they tell the king, all right, and nobody believes them at first. The king sends out a couple of people. So that was verse 9. King sends out a couple of people to spy it out, check it out, all this stuff. Then they realize the Syrians really are gone. Everybody rushes out of the city gates. And on their way back in, they trample the guy who said to Elisha at the, at, in verse uh, chapter 7, verse 2, the guy who said this wasn't possible. They trample him on their way back. So he gets to see it, but he never gets to experience it. All right. So this is a really interesting um, passage of scripture. And I, and I want to leave you with a weird application. So, so here's my big idea. Everybody was worried about what side Elisha was on, because whatever side Elisha was on was the side that God was on, right? And everybody wants to blame the Lord for this or that and say, oh, well, the Lord is with Aram and that's why we're losing. Or the Lord is with Israel, so Israel can never lose. But in this story, God's not on either side. He's on the side of the lepers. He's on the side of the sick. He's on the side of the ones that either side has forgotten about, has abandoned, has not cared for. Um, and, and so often, I remember when I was a kid and all my friends were in sports, and they would talk about how they won a game because they prayed before they played. Now, I, I went to Christian school, 11th and 12th grade, so and I was homeschooled before that. So if a group of Christian soccer teams get together or football teams get together to play, are we assuming that one team can pray better than the other team and that's why they won? You know, it's like, well, God was on our side. God gave us the victory. And, and I really don't think God really cares about our sports teams, uh, you know, except for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He very clearly blessed them this week, gave them Tom Brady. But other than that, uh, no, seriously, but seriously, God doesn't care about what team we're on. And it's, it's interesting in the midst of this crisis that we're in, um, for the most part, partisanship and that kind of stuff has gone by the wayside. As people have just said, we need to take care of, we need to take care of others. But there are still those who are making this a partisan issue, and they're still arguing. And one of the things I hear all the time from Christians when it comes to politics and it comes to uh, denominations and it comes, to, well, God is on this side because we stand for this. Can I tell you something? God is not on your side because you stand for something. God, we need to not worry about whether God is on our side. We need to be on God's side. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether your side has historically been the better side or historically been the worse side. You just need to be on God's side. And God, in this particular case, God was on the side of the lepers. He wasn't on the side of either nation. He, he, he doesn't provide for the city of of Samaria because Samaria has repented. There's no repentance here. He doesn't provide for this woman who's been reduced to cannibalism because Jehoram tore his, his robes and tried to kill Elisha. He doesn't provide for the people of Samaria because they deserve it. He's on his own side. 
the lepers just happen to be on his side in this moment. And so we could say that he's on their side. But, but in the reality, he's on the side of the people. He's not on the side of either king. Um, when we look at our world, no matter how fragmented or broken it is, when we look at people around us, right? And, and people say, you know, people are always debating, you know, who's, who's better, who's superior, what opinion matters. What we need to be asking ourselves is, are we on God's side? And if we are, all right, then it doesn't matter if Samaria is besieged. It doesn't matter if it looks impossible for God to provide. It doesn't matter if, if we're surrounded by an army that's going to take us prisoners of war. What matters is that we're on his side. And Elisha knew that if he was captured by the Arameans, it didn't matter because he was going to stay true to God. And he knew that in the midst of this siege, no matter what happened, he was going to stay true to God. Remember, we talked about Elisha. Elisha is a man of absolute conviction. And in the next, in Sundays, next Sunday, we're going to talk about Elisha having to do, I think, this is Elisha's um, last big moment on a national stage. But then Elisha will be called to basically anoint two murderers to be kings of Aram and Israel. Two, two men who will assassinate the sitting kings of Aram and Israel. Elisha has to take a step that we would never, I mean, we don't, we don't get orders to you know, send out assassins, but he does. He, he is ordered by God to go and to anoint as kings um, two people that break his heart. And Elisha is a very, very, uh, I'm not sure Elijah could have handled what Elisha has to handle. Elijah gets all the claim, you know. He's the one who appears in Malachi and John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Elijah and all this stuff. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But Elisha has to stand in the middle of two wicked kings and be the voice of God when no one wants to hear it. And he has to say, I have to stand on God's side when nobody else is except for a couple of lepers. <laughs> and ironically, the commander of the army of the kingdom of Aram, um, who is standing with him as well. Um, and you remember Naaman took those two loads of, of dirt home so that he, he could worship his God together, um, worship the God of, of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So whose side is God on is not the question for us. The question is, are we on God's side? That's that's the big idea from today. Um, just a real simple simple idea. So uh, let's let's pray and then we'll participate in the Lord's table. How's that sound? Actually, before we do that, before we do that, any thoughts about that passage? Since since I got all you here, <laughs> any thoughts about that passage of scripture? If you you have a thought, just go ahead and unmute yourself and and maybe share a, a thought or an idea or a question. Anybody? We're all good? All right, so so here's the deal, right? So we're gonna upload this, we're gonna upload the video of this to the, um, to the website. And uh, the website actually has a, like a discussion set up now on the bottom of the sermons. So I'm gonna throw some thoughts and some and ideas and some links and stuff into that page. 
and then you guys are going to be able you can jump on the website you don't have to log in or anything and you can just comment on the um, on the the sermon content ask questions or whatever right there on bedfordroad.org on that particular on today's sermon and we can have a conversation there so it's kind of a cool little format as well so um we'll do that let's have a word of prayer and then we'll have lord's table together